Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, I Am Sending You. It's based upon the lectionary readings for June 14, 2020. In his book, Tokens of Trust, An Introduction to Christian Belief, former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, tells the story of a young Jewish woman named Eddie Hillesom. Hillesom was in her 20s when the Germans occupied Holland. She was not a conventionally religious person, but between the years of 1941 and 1943, as she watched her world descend into nightmare, she became deeply aware of God's hand on her life. Imprisoned in the transit camp at Westerbork, before being shipped to the gas chambers of Auschwitz, Eddie wrote these words. There must be someone to live through it all and bear witness to the fact that God lived, even in these times. And why should I not be that witness? Williams describes Hillesom's commitment this way. She decided to occupy a certain place in the world, a place where others could somehow connect with God through her. She took responsibility for making God credible in the world. She took responsibility for God's believability. I've been thinking about these phrases all week, making God credible in the world, taking responsibility for God's believability. How do you feel reading them? What visceral reactions, if any, do they trigger? Alarm? Excitement? Longing? Fear? Does it ever occur to us that these phrases might describe our vocation as followers of Christ? Is it possible that we are called to make belief in the kingdom of God credible for the world we live in? Not just when belief is easy, but also and especially when belief feels impossible. If you're like me, you're reeling from the events that have rocked the United States over the past two weeks. I'm sure I'm not alone in lacking words to express the frustration and sorrow I feel. Once again, we must mourn a black man's senseless murder at the hands of abusive police. Once again, we must confront the deep, insidious racism that poisons this nation's core. Once again, we are called to repent of our history, grieve with our African-American brothers and sisters, and insist on the justice that is now centuries overdue. Once again, we are summoned to render God's good news credible in a dark hour. In our Gospel reading this week, Jesus commissions his twelve disciples to liberate and enliven the harassed and the helpless. Seeing the multitudes of sheep without a shepherd, Jesus is deeply moved, and so he tells his disciples, Go. Go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Go and cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Go and touch. Go and heal. Go and resurrect. Go and make peace. Go and render believable the compassion of God. Needless to say, this commissioning is for us as well. Are you scared yet? Hang on, Jesus has more to say. After explaining to the disciples what their task is, he offers them some appalling operating instructions. You received no payment. You received without payment. Give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag or two tunics or sandals or a staff. 
and, saving the zinger for last, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. You will be dragged before governors. You will be handed over to councils and flogged. You will be hated by all because of my name. Really? Let's see if I have this straight. Prioritize those who have nothing. Go to those who have no one to advocate for them, no one to hear them, no one to attend to their needs. Go to the harassed, the mistreated, the oppressed, and the exhausted. Knock on their doors and place yourselves at their service. Humbly accept their hospitality. Learn the art of dependence. Do not live and minister above or apart from the people you wish to help. Live among them. Engage them and do so deeply. Choose poverty, simplicity, and vulnerability. Carry no weapons. Stockpile no resources. Have no backup. Abandon your egotism. Do not parade in like a savior, basking in pomp and circumstance. Lead instead with quietness, gentleness, curiosity, and humility. Insofar as it depends on you, keep, make, and share the peace. Remember that power has been given to you for one reason and one reason only, so that you can give it away. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Be attentive. Listen. Know the complexities of the world in which you move. Make every effort to understand what's happening beneath the surfaces. Be pure of heart, but don't revel in ignorance, flatten reality, or mistake naivete for faith. When you've done all of the above, in other words, when you get all of this just right, expect life to get pretty grim. Know that lots of folks will distrust you. Understand that many well-meaning people will yell and scream at you. Expect to get rejected, called out, wounded, beaten. Don't be surprised when your life gets uncomfortable. This is what success looks like. Do not despair. You are not alone. The Spirit of God is with you, and the Spirit will give you the words you need and the courage you lack. Remember, grace abounds, so don't lose heart. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Are you scared now? Make no mistake, this is a confrontational gospel. It's hard, it's demanding, it's offensive. In it, Jesus asks us to surrender absolutely everything for the sake of making God credible to a world that's convulsing in pain. And he does so without reservation or apology. His harsh-sounding instructions suggest that there will be times when our faith requires us to violate cultural norms, fight uphill battles, and speak dangerous truths to power. If our overriding priority as Christians is to secure our own comfort, then we cannot follow Jesus. Discipleship will disorient and disrupt us. It will make us the neighborhood weirdos. It will shake things up in our families, churches, and communities. It will expose evils in the status quo we cling to. It will humble us to our knees. As our reading from the Epistle to the Romans so eloquently puts it, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. So often we Christians try to skip straight to hope and hunker down in its promise. Yes, the church is called to profess hope, but hope is not the same thing as clueless optimism or premature consolation. Hope has no meaning if it's not undergirded by justice. 
Notice the trajectory, suffering, endurance, character, and then hope. The fact that our salvation is free does not mean it comes cheap. To make God believable here and now is to stand in the hot white center of the world's pain. Not just to glance in the general direction of suffering and injustice and then sidle away, but to dwell there. To identify ourselves wholly with those who are aching, weeping, and dying. In the case of America's long-standing racial crisis, making Christ credible means moving beyond denial, beyond willful ignorance, and beyond the band-aid approach of thoughts and prayers. It means deciding, as grateful followers of a brown man who died at the hands of brutal law enforcement 2,000 years ago, that we will not tolerate the demon of racism in our midst for one more generation. Why does Jesus ask so much of us? Because he gave us so much. You received without payment, now give without payment. Maybe, if we can put aside our reluctance and our fear, we will feel the weight, the power, and, dare I say it, the glory of this calling. Jesus calls us only to what we were created for. Jesus knows the cure for our brokenness, our malaise, our boredom, our angst. He knows that when we go out into the world in his name, healing what is diseased, resurrecting what is dead, and casting out what is evil, we participate in the transformation of our own souls. What we are hearing in these days is the very heart of God within us, deep, calling to deep, the Spirit crying out on behalf of a world desperate for justice and mercy. Will we listen? Someone has to live and bear witness to the fact that God lived, even in these times. So ask yourself, Why shouldn't that witness be me? For books this week, Dan reviews Jacqueline Woodson's Red at the Bone, a novel. Jacqueline Woodson, born in 1963, winner of the Newbery Medal, the National Book Award, and numerous other awards for her 30 books, once said that she wanted to write about communities that were familiar to me and people that were familiar to me. I wanted to write about communities of color. I wanted to write about girls. I wanted to write about friendship and all of these things that I felt were missing in a lot of the books that I read as a child. That's what she did in her last novel, Another Brooklyn, and what she does once again in Red at the Bone. Both stories are set in Brooklyn, where Woodson has spent most of her life. At a simple level, the story is about an unplanned teenage pregnancy. Iris and Aubrey were only 10th graders when their baby Melody was born. The neighbors gossiped. The Catholic Church expelled Iris from parochial school. The parents fretted. There were feelings of fear and shame all around. The familiar assurances of Christian faith felt besieged. In Woodson's telling, this unremarkable event becomes understandably complex, just like real life, as she explores the impact of Melody's birth on the five central characters in the story, who come from three generations and who each narrate parts of the novel. Read at the Bone is a coming-of-age story about love, sex, family, and gender identity, and in particular about what it's like to be an urban, black, teenage girl. There are issues of class, as Iris comes from a family of silk stockings and a Brooklyn brownstone, whereas Aubrey comes from food stamps and a single mother. Matters of race are also a major theme, hair texture, skin tone, eye color, music, food, and urban slang. Mother-daughter issues loom large. Melody refers to her mother Iris by her given name, not Mommy, and laments that somewhere along the way I became your enemy.
and all these complicated matters are interpreted through the filters of personal memory and multi-generational history. The story begins in the ominous year of 2001, then moves forwards and backwards in time. The very first word of the novel is but, a conjunction that signals contrast and even impossibility. Toward the end, when Iris has left Aubrey and Melody for college in Ohio and found new love there, she says that she felt red at the bone, like there was something inside of her, undone and bleeding. For films this week, Dan reviews Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice. A few months before she turned 18, Linda Ronstadt, born in 1946, left the isolated 10-acre ranch near Tucson where she had grown up, moved to Los Angeles and rented a beach house in Santa Monica. She went there to make music, and as it turned out, she succeeded far beyond anyone's wildest dreams. This movie about her life debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival in April of 2019, where it won the Audience Award for Best Documentary. Ronstadt went on to become the most gifted and successful woman artist of her generation, selling more than 100 million records that spanned an incredible diversity of genres, rock and roll, pop, soul, rhythm and blues, gospel, opera, country, choral, mariachi rock, folk ballads, American standards, classic Mexican music. Canciones de mi padre became this country's best-selling Spanish language album ever, and Broadway musicals. She was the first female artist in popular music history to accumulate four consecutive platinum albums. Ronstadt eventually had 11 platinum albums and was the first artist to top the pop, country, and R&B charts simultaneously. She won 10 Grammys. Her last concert was in 2009. In 2012, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and in 2014, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As you would expect, this film incorporates archival concert footage and interviews with music artists and experts, family and close friends like Emmylou Harris, who at the end of the film remarks, nobody on the planet had a voice like Linda. And lastly, for poetry this week, Tears of Blood by Bicky Gautham. I closed my eyes. When I opened them, I couldn't close them again. How could I? Is humanity dead? Is peace dead? Is violence the way? Lord, have pity on us. We have let you down. We have made you cry. Fire, smoke everywhere. What did they get? Nothing but innocent lives and tears of blood. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for June 14th, 2020. I'm Debbie Thomas.